welcome again. We welcome you again and again and again because we are genuinely happy that you're here with us tonight at City Life. We're launching our summer series. We launched it last week, but uh, we loaded up. I'm excited for this series. I'm excited for these words that God has given me that I've been working on for months that have just been kind of marinating, right? Sitting in the pot, uh, gaining illustrations and some flavors. So we'll get into that tonight. But I'm also excited because, man, last year we planted in January. And I remember they tell you, man, in, in the summer, get ready for a low. People go on vacations. They travel. And hey, I'm all for that, right? We, we champion rest here. If your family's off being strengthened on vacation, that just means when you come back, the church is going to be that much stronger. But also, we've seen families come in during the summer and be a part. So last weekend, we had uh, three households uh, as a part of Discovering City Life. Tonight, we got four. And if you want to join us, let us know. There will be pizza. There will be other stuff because my wife eats gluten-free. She's planning whatever that is, salads. Uh, desserts, whatever that'll look like. But uh, there's a couple uh, people that uh, they've been serving before they ever attended Discovering City Life. They just wanted to get involved and get rooted and get moving. And the first is, I don't think he's going to hear me, Matt and Ashton Cross. Nah, they're out in the lobby. He's, he's running security. He's huge. So, oh, Ashton, I'll run this to you. This is a book. And then while I'm back there as well, Lisa, she's been serving. And I'll, I'll give you the, the family-oriented book. It's TechWise Family. And then, uh, Ashton, I'll give you all struggles. It's a good book, good book. So why are there books about tech and, and selfies, and why are there giant cell phones up here? And it's because we launched this series uh, that we're simply titling Your Cell, Your Soul, Eternal Wisdom for the Smartphone Age. Because we launched this last week, but 10 years ago in the summer of 2007, uh, Steve Jobs unveiled for the first time the iPhone. 10 years ago. And in 10 years, 1 billion iPhones have been sold. Not just smartphones iPhone specifically, one billion sold. That's what happens when they update it like every six months. Everybody feels like they got the newest one. But for the first time in history, there are more smart devices on the planet than there are people. They're everywhere. So on May 3rd of 2016, the editors of Time Magazine, they named the iPhone the single most influential gadget of all time, saying that it fundamentally changed our relationship to computing and information, a change likely to have repercussions for decades to come. So the question we're asking ourselves is, what are those repercussions? Right? How is it affecting us, for good or for bad? Right? Because we talked about last week, we went through the list of ways that we benefit from our smartphones. They're smart. They help us look smart. Right? I don't have to ask the dumb questions. I can look them up on Google. And there's hundreds of other ways we've all benefited from our phones, but there's also probably hundreds of ways that we've abused them. So the question is, all these screens, all this technology, what's their proper place in a life where we want to keep Jesus Christ at his proper place, at the center and at the focus of our lives? So we'll grapple with different issues throughout the summer. Last week, we grappled with wisdom. Tonight, we're talking about situational awareness. But these conversations about smartphones and the issues that arise, they're not new issues, right? There's nothing new under the sun. A lot of these issues have been prevalent for centuries, for thousands of years, but we just are presented with them in a different way, in a different light. And just as these issues are perennial and timeless, we have the Bible, which is perennial, which is timeless, which has truth to apply to the heart of every matter. We talked about it last week. Whatever your smartphone habits are, just like every other habit in your life, it reveals your heart. The, a, a smartphone, any kind of device, it's a tool. It's an extension of our thought and of our heart, and it's what we make of it, whether it's a tool, a trinket, or a tyrant. Again, we talked about how technology is not some mythical monster that's coming to conquer us, but it is a mirror that reflects the heart of beautiful yet broken people. And again, the Bible 
shows wisdom and ongoing relevance even in a digital age. These technological innovations and inventions, they're invitations for us theologically to look at what do I believe and how am I walking it out in my current context. And tonight, for the truth we'll look at tonight, it's in Ephesians 6. I want to read Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 12, and then 18 through 20. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, and then 18 through 20. The heading in my Bible says the whole armor of God here in Ephesians 6. Paul says, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits of the heavenly realms. Then it goes on to say in verses 18 through 20, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for the Jews and Gentiles alike. I am in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. Come on, as he speaks on prayer there, can we just pray before we go any further? Lord God, I just pray that as Paul prays here, you would give uh, the right words so that, again, everybody here um, can receive from your spirit. God, we know that this is your timeless, uh, forever relevant, eternal truth. It's your living word. So, God, I just pray that you would be strong in, in my weakness, God, that your spirit would be here to, to speak something to every heart so that, again, whatever need we came in with, God, will find its source in you because we know you're our hope. God, you're, you are life everlasting, and we chase you again tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we looked at wisdom because we're in a series. If we're talking about eternal wisdom for the smartphone age, the question is, is the question that Job asks in Job 28. Where shall we find this wisdom? And then last week, we also looked at, okay, if it's found in Jesus, if it's found in his word, how do we find that wisdom? So you can podcast that or go back to it. But again, this question is in Job 28. Where shall we find this wisdom? And Job is struggling. He's suffering. He's lost a ton. And he's asking, man, what's the wisdom that can make sense of everything that's happening to me? What kind of greater context gives everything I'm walking through meaning? You know, tonight I want to start, there's a, a, a series of movies about a man named, you might have heard of him, Jason Bourne, a man trying to make sense of his life. Early on, he has a broken memory. He's trying to discover his true identity, all the while, of course, eluding assassins and uncovering a CIA plot, all the, all the good stuff. There's approximately like nine of them now. I don't know. There's a lot of them now. But I want to show, it's a short clip from the very first uh, Jason Bourne movie. I'm not making this up. These are real. Okay. Who has a safety deposit box full of money and six passports and a gun? Who has a bank account number in their hip? I come in here. And the first thing I'm doing is I'm catching the sight lines and looking for an exit. I see the exit sign too, I'm not worried. I mean, you were shot. People do all kinds of weird and amazing stuff when they're scared. 
I can tell you the license plate numbers of all six cars outside. I can tell you that our waitress is left-handed and the guy sitting up at the counter weighs 215 pounds and knows how to handle himself. I know the best place to look for a gun is the cab of the gray truck outside. And at this altitude, I can run flat out for a half mile before my hands start shaking. Now, why would I know that? How can I know that and not know who I am? So we see in this scene, and you see it again and again in these movies, that it seems like he has this almost supernatural ability to absorb his surroundings and make assessments based on them. He knows all, all the numbers of the license plate. He knows how much that guy weighs and that he can handle himself. And this ability is what people from his field, whether you're talking officers or military or well-trained government assassins, would call situational awareness. But it's, it's not just for that field of work. Maybe when you were a kid, you thought, man, how does my mom have eyes on the back of her head, right? How does she know at all times what I'm doing? And how does she know at all times? It seems like she knows what I'm thinking. Your mom didn't have eyes on the back of her head or some mutant power. She just had great situational awareness. And, and all the moms said amen. But Jason Bourne, his seemingly supernatural ability of, of observation comes from the simple act of paying attention to what was going on around him. Situational awareness is more or less intentional mindfulness. It sounds simple, but it's not. Because it's not just about paying attention to everything, it's about paying attention to the right things. Kind of echoes what we talked about last week, where the, the, so much of our culture's problem is an illiteracy, that we, we can't read the content, it's, it's illiteracy. There's so much content. So many news blurbs and notifications and books and blogs being written that it's so hard for us to determine anymore what's eternally relevant, what's significant, or even sometimes what's true. And it, it does. It keeps us from grasping what's eternally valuable, but it can also keep us from living fully present in the moment. Because as our minds become more and more filled with a, a few square inches of a screen, we can miss out more and more on situational awareness. So the question is, well, are we supposed to live with situational awareness? Well, you look at Jesus' life. This is a man that certainly did not lack situational awareness. Even as he was constantly surrounded by crowds, nothing was lost on him. And he didn't just notice everything. He noticed the right things. And as you begin to work your way through the Gospels and look at these interactions, so many of them happened with what we would consider like interruptions. He's on his way here. He's on his way from here to there. And then he has this encounter. He sees this person or he heals this person over here. Meanwhile, when we have those moments of in-between, I'm writing this sermon yesterday right at Starbucks. I go up to get my refill. Huge line. From 1 to 2 p.m., they're handing out like free teas. So the line was the biggest I've ever seen. So I'm like, I'm going to be here for a while. So what do I do? Turn to the person next to me and spark a conversation, right? No, I pulled out my phone, started scrolling. And then I'm like, I'm preaching on this 24 hours from now, right? <laughs> and I'm just locked into the few inches, square inches of my phone. But maybe it's not that. Maybe it's at a child soccer game. We're just waiting for the game day and we pull out our phone. We're driving our cars going from point A to point B. We pull out our phone. But Jesus was always situationally aware. Even in the middle of a sea of people moving, he noticed Zacchaeus over here in a tree. In a mob of people that probably looked like a mosh pit, uh, he, he felt a woman just touch the hem of his garment. He noticed things, and he noticed the right things, and he was able to minister through that. 
And he had a next level situational awareness. Luke 5, it talks about how he knew what the Pharisees were thinking before they even said it, right? We might not ever graduate to that level of situational awareness, but surely we look at Jesus and we're like, okay, I need to be more aware in my day to day. Because if we looked at our average situational awareness in our culture, it's not next level. It's probably sub-level or subpar. There have been news reports, not about texting and driving, but we're talking texting and walking, right? You can waste so much time on YouTube watching just fail videos of people walking into glass doors, people walking into the, the, the fountain at the mall. Uh, there was a report, it's funny but not funny, two guys, two, mind you, playing Pokemon Go walked off a cliff in California. Luckily, there was sand at the bottom, but Probably didn't feel good. When you're on your phone, basically everything except for those square inches is your blind spot. And I have a, a favorite video I wanted to show you tonight, uh, just because I can. Garbage cans are out too. Mm, yeah, just something. a couple of minutes ago, the bear left the clearing in the backyard there, and he made his way over to the driveway over on Mayfield. He came down that driveway, down Mayfield, and now he's on Briggs, and now it looks like he's got turning into another driveway here. We're going to kind of maneuver around and see if we can get another shot of him. Um, but uh, yeah, he was definitely right uh, there. Oh, oh man, got someone uh, resident there. <laughs> he yeah. just saw the bear. Oh. Wow. Good morning. Um, that is one way. We're going to maneuver to the south here and see if we can pick up a shot of the bear here. But apparently wow. the bear uh, moving in towards the driveway of a home scared uh, the resident there. And uh, the oh, resident no, no. obviously saw the bear and ran off. But uh, there he you go. Tasty, the bear, uh, again, very active here moving in and around the homes here off of uh, Briggs just south of Mayfield. All right, so I'll be the first to admit that I need to work on my situational awareness. But I, I pray, knock on wood, that it never results in me walking headfirst into a bear. Right. But this also is it's again, we talk about these issues. It's not a new problem. It's a timeless one. There's so many pictures like this one of of people locked in on newspapers. And and I've seen it argued that, you know, after spending five minutes on that newspaper, they put it down and engage the people around them and have conversation. But I think we might be romanticizing a time past instead of recognizing a timeless problem that in a deluge of personal tasks and things to do in our own pursuits, Sometimes we can become less and less aware of the flesh and blood, the people around us. Uh, it goes all the way back in the Bible. I want to look at 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 9 through 18, the Old Testament, thousands, thousands of years ago. This encounter between a, a priest named Eli and a woman named Hannah. Now, Eli is the priest, the spiritual leader for the nation. He had a to-do list. He no doubt had tasks to take care of. And one day in the temple, he comes across this woman, Hannah, praying. I want to, I'm going to read 1 Samuel Chapter 1, verses 9 through 18. 9 through 18. It says, once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli, the priest, was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow, O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord. His hair will never be cut. As she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her. Seeing her lips moving but hearing no sound, he thought she had been drinking. Must you come here drunk, he demanded. Throw away your wine. Oh, no, sir, she replied. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I am very discouraged, and I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I'm a wicked woman. For I have been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. In that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request you have asked of him. 
Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. Then she went back and began to eat again, for she was no longer sad. So we see in this passage, Hannah is in a bitterness of soul and praying before the Lord. She was weeping in anguish. She was pouring her heart out before God, feeling stripped of purpose, feeling stripped of motherhood. And again and again, she had asked and not received an answer. She was at the end of her proverbial rope, and up comes Eli. Mind you, within the shadow of the tabernacle, this, this spiritual setting, and he walks up on her praying, and in one of the most face palm inducing moments of the Bible, thinks that this woman that is earnestly praying is in fact drunk. Somehow, some way, he mistakes her earnest prayer for drunkenness. It's like the situational awareness of a squirrel trying to cross a highway. Like, it's not good. And imagine if Hannah, because she shows so much grace in this moment, she could have been angry, frustrated, run off. But imagine if she did. Because think about her prayer and the results of her prayer. She has Samuel. Samuel basically helps God establish the nation of Israel. He anoints King David. From King David and the lineage of King David comes Jesus Christ. Such a beautiful picture of not only her grace for Eli, but God's grace that despite his mistake, this all still happened. But a lack of situational awareness, again, it's no new problem. But we would be fooling ourselves if we didn't recognize that social media platforms and our phones in general have given us more and more opportunities to fuel our self-interest and miss out engaging on the lives around us. There's two major issues. If we're going to walk in obedience to Christ, keep him at the center of our life and the focus of our life, if we let go of situational awareness, one, we forget that our fight, our battle is not against flesh and blood. There's a deeper reality. And secondly, we ignore the flesh and blood that's right around us, right around us. If we break it down in terms of situational awareness, like the textbook definition of situational awareness, you orient and then you observe. You orient yourself and then you observe. So spiritually, what are we oriented to? What are we looking for? Because that speaks to you figure out what the baseline of the situation is, and that allows you to see anomalies. So again, the question is, as a believer, what's, what's the baseline? What am I operating from? You look at Ephesians 6.12 that we opened with. It says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Now, Paul doesn't bring this up so that we can get all caught up in the forces of evil. It's not to spark paranoia. Finish the Gospels. Jesus won, right? Finish your Bible. We win. The church wins in the end. And when we see the forces of evil mentioned in the New Testament, it's usually for two reasons and two reasons only. One, to remind us that they've been defeated, and two, so we won't fall into their traps and fall into temptation. Our orientation, again, is not one of paranoia, but being alert and being aware. You keep reading in Ephesians 6, it says, with this in mind, be alert. Saying, with this orientation, you can now observe. You know, the first subject that Paul launches into after talking about this battleground and the full armor of faith is prayer. It's a call to prayer because prayer orients us to this reality. Again, Eli was the church leader who couldn't recognize heartfelt, passionate prayer. It's mind-blowing. Because of this, he, he acted out of foolishness instead of empathy. And when you look at his life and the totality of the account of his life, you can ask the question, is it because prayer was absent in his life? Is it possible that personal prayer Personal prayer, him before God earnestly, had become so foreign to him that he couldn't recognize prayer outside of a ceremony or a service. I don't think there's a coincidence that in 1 Samuel 3, we hear the condition of his 
physical eyes were so weak that he could hardly see. He had long been living spiritually blind, and physically he was losing his sight. Because prayer, it's, it's powerful, but prayer isn't solely about life with me and God. If we're living with that perspective, we're living blind to so much that God would call us to that's beyond me, myself, and Jesus. Prayer is a means of being aware to the depth of reality around us. It orients us. And when we read the Bible, we realize that reality is made up of so much that we don't see with our own two eyes. And we can forget that it goes so much deeper than mere flesh and blood. There's something that's called a selective attention test. I could show videos and videos tonight, but it was years ago that I think the most famous one was filmed. It's a selective attention test. So there's two groups of people, one wearing white t-shirts, one wearing black t-shirts. They're passing balls around. And you're supposed to count how many times the team in white t-shirts passes the ball around. And then after you watch the video, it asks you how many times did you pass the ball? You get the answer right, you pat yourself on the back, you're like, yeah, I'm a beast. And then they're like, did you notice the gorilla that walked right through? A man in a gorilla suit that walked right through the frame, pauses in the middle, does a little jig, and then walks out. For most people, the answer is no. Don't even notice this gorilla walking through the frame because you're so busy counting the people in the white shirts passing a ball back and forth. You go from, yeah, I'm a beast to, oh, whoops. (laughs) Because our eyes, they don't record like a camera everything we see. That's why uh, witnesses at crime scenes can be unreliable because we assemble details according to what we think in the moment is important. And left to itself, our brain can overlook many details because we deem they're unimportant. And the same way that we miss the gorilla in that test, we can, for more obvious reasons, live blind to things that we can't see. The spiritual reality, when really it should operate as our baseline. That this world doesn't measure up, evil is present, and change, repentance is required. But prayer fixes our orientation takes us off this default mode that we have as humans of just drifting by. But so often, we look for religion to do for us what we look for our phones to do for us, make our life more convenient, make our life more comfortable. But if you're looking for that in your religion, Christianity, it's not what you're looking for. The baseline for us is a battlefield, and there's no Switzerland. You're either pursuing God or you're running from him. You're either for him or you're against him. So how do we keep this as our orientation so we don't drift? How do we stay alert to what we can't see? Man, prayer. Prayer orients us to this reality. Again, Ephesians 6.18, you read it in its totality. It says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, with this orientation, be alert. In the equation of situational awareness, with this orientation in mind, be observant. Observe. You know, texting and driving, I, I joked about it earlier, but it's serious. It's dangerous. It's, it's terrible. But we so often do it while operating literally tons of machinery. And we know this. We've seen the stats, and we see the commercials that give horrible accounts. And the laws they pass, it's shown that in many instances, it just makes the accidents worse because we go from here to down here because we still do it. And it just shows this lack of awareness of the flesh and blood that we pass by every day, the people in those other vehicles, the lives they lived. And, and man, according to the Bible, that flesh and blood, right, not the physical flesh and blood, but they're eternal beings. They're immortal. They're eternally significant. But so often we live blind to the people we pass daily. 
You know, there was a, a, a viral social experiment. A woman was concerned that her husband was so absorbed in his work emails and his phone that in public he wouldn't be able to watch their child. So they, she had this man do as an experiment at a park. Maybe you've seen this video too, where, mind you, the park is empty. This is not a, a chaos and so many kids and a symphony of screaming. Empty park, a father maybe 30 or 40 feet from his child, and while he's looking at his phone, the man comes up, says, hey, kid, you want some candy? Here's some candy. Come with me. Let's get some more. Just walks off with the kid while the dad is looking at his phone. Now, I've been parenting for four months. I'm, a, I'm not a pro, so I'm not going to joke him or, or drag him in the mud. But, man, it's not just about child negligence. When you look at the totality of our interactions and the totality of our lives, it's about neighbor negligence. Instead of living with situational awareness, too often we live with neighbor negligence, living just blind to the flesh and blood around us. We're a people called by the Christ we claim to worship. And, and, and somebody asked him, what are the two, or excuse me, what do I need to do to get to heaven, right? What's the greatest commandment? He says, love God. And then right next to that, he says, love your neighbor. Right next to that. And yet so often we ignore the neighbors we can see to attend to people we can't see behind a screen. And right after this command to love our neighbor, I love somebody asked, like, okay, so who is our neighbor? Like, exactly who am I on the hook for with this whole love your neighbor thing? Because I live next to a few people. Are you talking like the whole city? And this is when Jesus gives the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Parable of the Good Samaritan. Maybe you've heard it, maybe you haven't. But a, a man gets jumped while on a road, left in a ditch. Multiple people walk past him do nothing. And finally, the Good Samaritan is the one that sees him, has compassion, and does something about it. And in the parable Jesus tells, he talks about a priest who was passing by, sees the man, but wanted nothing to do with him and kept it moving. In his modern context, it might talk about a pastor, Pastor Justin from City Life. Didn't even see the man in the ditch because he was looking at his phone and kept it moving. Are we aware? You know, and I'm not saying that because we need to trash our phones. Like we were talking about last week, you look at the last 24 hours, Nate and Anthony joked about that storm, but there were multiple people in the church that lost power, lost their AC, and I saw people in compassion reaching out to them, how can I help you? They knew about that because of Facebook, social media. It can be used to our advantage. It can be used as a tool to bless people. Lindsay Hoy was at a, a food pantry that was turning people away because they ran out of food. She rallied people over the last 24 hours to bring food for that exact food pantry. She did it on Facebook, right? So I'm not saying we should throw all of this out, but we need to be aware and be mindful of how it can lead to just neighbor neglect, neighbor neglect. And be mindful that in all this, we're, we're called to play the good Samaritan, uh, not Jason Bourne, right? We don't size people up to measure up possible threats. That guy over there is 215, he knows how to handle himself. No, people aren't threats. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. People are beautiful yet broken. God wants to minister to them through us. There's a, a, a great verse, I was reading through Romans, and it just jumped off the page to me. It's Romans 12, 16, where we're commanded, enjoy the company of ordinary people. It doesn't just say engage the company, right? I love that it says enjoy the company. Because when you are in that Starbucks line for 10, 15 minutes, <laughs> and you actually take time to engage somebody, you never know how much joy you'll find. And just getting to know what they do, what they're passionate about, get to share about my passions, the church, right, what I do. And I'm blessed by that. Usually more blessed than if I look at my Twitter timeline. <laughs> but you could say the 21st century translation of this verse would be step aside from your screens and, and just for a moment, keep the company 
of the flesh and blood individuals that are around you, ordinary living and breathing people. Because I think the bar for our culture, for doing right by other people is set so low. Usually it's, I'm not doing anything to hurt anyone. But that's a passive stance. You can do nothing to hurt anybody in solitary confinement. You can do that as a hermit. But a passive Christian can't do the will of God. Matter of fact, uh, the term passive Christian in and of itself is an oxymoron. Jesus sets the bar so much higher. Not am am I doing anything to hurt anyone, but what am I doing to help someone? And our situational awareness, again, is not about sizing people up. It's, it's about compassion. It's not about sizing people up, but seeing them as God does. It says in Romans 5, 16 through 20 in the message version, we don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. We looked at the Messiah that way once, and we got it all wrong, as you know. We certainly don't look at him that way anymore. Now we look inside, and what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start and is created new. It's a powerful passage about how we look at people and evaluate people and hopefully don't judge people, right? Talk about no judgment zones. I don't know if any of you go to Planet Fitness or the gym, right? It's, it's supposed to be a place where you all go, come as you are, and, and nobody will judge you. But everybody at the gym is evaluating themselves by what they look like and, and their progress and all of that. So the solution to that, right, is we put on headsets, kind of keep to ourselves, Rather than looking at people, I'm looking in the mirror. You know, I need to make sure my form is good. There's excuses for that. So I was at the gym uh, not long ago, headsets on, right, in my own little world. Not actively ignoring people, but close. (laughs) And then uh, uh, the guy next to me motions to me. And I'm like, is he asking if I'm done? Does he he need something? And and I looked at him, and I kind of recognized him. And he had been to Fun Before the Fourth, you know, that we hosted. And he came and and we were able to spark up a conversation about his family, my family, the adoption we just walked through, how much of a blessing a church can be for the family. And I think we both left that conversation edified and encouraged. And then I thought, man, what if I just kept to myself, perp- almost purposefully aware of the people around me? What would I miss? Again, this is stuff. I'm walking through, right? Reality check. Again, yesterday in the line at Starbucks, I'm pulling out my phone to swipe through stuff instead of the dozens of people surrounding me. I need more situational awareness. I need to more often throughout the day pause and reorient myself through prayer. And I need to observe moments where God might want me to step out and share and just talk to somebody, maybe impact them. And there's two simple practical steps that help me Uh, just be more aware, even just in my perspective. The first is there's a huge difference between looking and seeing. You can look at something hundreds of times or for 100 seconds and still not see it. I don't remember the last time I took one of these tests, but where you say it's a, a picture of a car accident and you're supposed to look at it for 100 seconds. And then after that 100 seconds are up, you answer 10 questions. You know, how many, what color were the cars? Uh, what was on the street? And you just realized, man, I, I looked at that for 100 seconds, but I, I didn't see these things. There's a big difference between looking and seeing. In the same way, there's a huge difference between hearing and listening. You can hear somebody without listening, but listening brings awareness. Awareness can spark compassion. There's a, a neuroscientist, Seth Horowitz. This is fascinating to me. Hopefully it's fascinating to you where he says you hear anywhere from 20 to 100 times faster than you see so that everything you perceive with your ears is coloring every other perception you have and every conscious thought that you have. 
Sound gets in so fast that it modifies all the other input and sets the stage for it. Some powerful facts about hearing, but you transition that from hearing to listening. I think it's why the Bible says, hey, be quick to listen and slow to speak. Because when you listen and seek to listen and seek to understand, seek to empathize, you let that set the table for your actions. And you're able to better act out of the same compassion we see Jesus walking in. Because there are many people around us the same way they were around Jesus in deep anguish, bitterness, like Hannah was. And maybe their bitterness, it's not expressed in prayer like Hannah's was. Maybe it's in actual brokenness. Maybe it's in actual drunkenness. And yeah, I asked the question, if Hannah was drunk, what was Eli going to do then? Chase her away? Turn her into an outcast? What, was he going to show her grace or extend shame? Right? What was he going to do if she was drunk? But we know what Jesus would have done. Jesus shared a table with the outcast again and again. And he had this next level situational awareness where he didn't stop at being aware of it. But he used his awareness to walk in compassion. You see him ask questions again and again and again, not because he needed to. Again, he had a next level situational awareness that knew what people were thinking before they even said it, yet he asked questions. And I think it was to model for us, man, listen, ask questions, genuinely care because it helps you show compassion. Jesus remembered that the battle wasn't against flesh and blood. Jesus remembered that to be mindful of the flesh and blood around him. And, and that enabled him to walk in just a profound compassion throughout his ministry toward the people, the flesh and blood around him. If I could have the worship team come up, you know, so often we treat compassion as a feeling. It's kind of ethereal idea, but compassion is so much deeper than that. Compassion is not just a feeling, it's taking action. Again, Paul's orientation, he was mindful of this reality in Ephesians 6 that he reminds the church of, but that didn't just cause him to think about it. It stirred him up in different ways. We see it stirs him to pray, to orient himself. But we also see that it caused him, as it gets to the end of that passage, to proclaim the gospel. You know, we orient by praying, but we observe so that in those moments where God wants us to proclaim, to share the hope we have, we're able to walk in it. You know, we can so often get caught up in evangelism like it's a guilt trip, like every conversation we have needs to say something explicitly Christian, or, or, or sharing the gospel is the spiritual equivalent of, 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 of closing a sale at all costs. But can we just start with Romans 12, 16, enjoying the company of ordinary people more often and letting our phones steal that company less and less? Come on, may we live with a renewed situational awareness. Aware that our battle, the battlefield we walk in daily is not flesh and blood. And aware of the flesh and blood that God calls us every day to reach. And may we tonight, may we every day be aware of and call to memory the fact that God took on flesh and blood to redeem us to die for us, to redeem us before we were even aware enough to realize we needed it. Maybe that's a new awareness for you. Maybe you've come to the awareness that you're broken and you need redemption. Or maybe you've come to that awareness not for the first time, but for the hundredth time. There are moments in life where you're just reminded, God, I need you. I need your grace like the air I breathe. If that's you tonight. Then I'd encourage you as we step into this moment of worship pray where you're at. You can pray at the altar. You can pray with me here. You can pray in the back with the Lees. They're back there if you need prayer. But exchange your brokenness for his righteousness. Like we talked about in worship. 
His blood covers us so that when God looks at us, he doesn't see our brokenness, our ratchetness. He sees Jesus' righteousness. Maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum. You've come to this reality that as good as you're doing, as much as you're excelling in life, there's still a void. Still something is missing. And that something is Jesus Christ. That something is the hope of Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And again, if you've come to that awareness, step into that tonight. We're going to step into worship. If, if you could stand, we're going to sing again. But as we pray and as we praise, God, I ask that you would orient us again to the reality that we're surrounded by. God, mindful of the fact that our battle is not against flesh and blood and mindful of the fact that every day there is flesh and blood that has eternal significance and you want to reach it. You're calling us to have an impact. God, if each member of the church all around the globe would just do that within their circle of influence, Lord God, we would reach so much of it like that. God, I pray that you would give us, God, this awareness. God, not out of some burden or paranoia, Lord God, but just an awareness of the opportunities you give us. May we look around not to size people up, but to see them as you do. And remember that once we were that outcast, at one time we were that broken individual that needed the grace that somebody else had. Jesus, we thank you again for the work you did on the cross. We praise you for it now. And again, we lift our perspective above just the circumstances around us to you who reign and rule over every circumstance. Praise you, Jesus.